Welcome to the My Big Church Podcast. On this podcast, you will hear a message of hope and inspiration from one of our pastors. We hope you enjoy the message. This is the Big Church Podcast. This woman is so led by the Holy Spirit that she leaned over to me and said, can I change my message? So you better sit back, hold on to your chairs, because she's going to take us somewhere tonight. Would you get off your seat and on your feet and welcome Miss Bianca Altov. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, hello, good evening, ladies. Oh, this is my very first time to Louisville. And yes, yes, I, I'm very excited. Uh, okay, so I hail from the great state of California, AKA the promised land. And, uh, and one of the things that you will discover about me is that like I'm a hot mess. I really try having my life be put together and I feel like one day I will, but Today's not that day. Uh, case in point, I'm running around getting stuff, throwing it in the car, and I realize, like, I forgot my charger. Now, here's the thing. That's not that big of a deal. But if you know me, I forget something every single time. You guys, I have embarrassing stories. Like, forget... <sighs> I, I, f- I forgot my bra. Like, so then that's just a bad, bad way to start a conference. And uh, this is an even worse way to start a conference. I left my Bible. Um, who forgets a Bible? Not this trip, okay? But anyways, I was on this string of like forgetting things when I was going and traveling for conferences. And, and so I was heading to Austin, Texas. And I was said, you know what? I'm going to pack everything in my suitcase. And then I'm going to unpack everything. I'm going to see it so it's all there. And I'm going to tell the enemy, not today, Satan. Nope, you ain't going to get me. I have my bra, got my Bible, got my notes, got my makeup, got everything. So I packed up everything, and I head to the airport, uh, took an Uber to LAX, got to LAX. I was so excited. They said, oh, congratulations, Ms. Oldefia, for first class upgrade. I said, yes, thank you, Jesus. His favor ain't fair, and his glory is good. Amen. So I walk into first class like a baller, like, oh, it's all good. I sit down like I'm supposed to be there. And, and all of a sudden, I'm reaching into my bag that felt extremely light, and I was a little confused. I pull up my Bible, pull up my notes, pull up my wallet, and then I panic. I call my husband frantically, like, Matthew, Matthew, we have an emergency. He said, what happened? Tell me what happened. He said, and I told him, I left my makeup bag. Now, here's the thing. Friends here in the South, that might not be a big deal to you, but I wear my makeup like that of RuPaul, okay? Like, I don't look the same. You will not recognize me on the street without my eyebrows, my lashes, my contour, and lip gloss, okay? The lip gloss is popping, so I'm having a whole meltdown. And I said, I don't know what to do. He said, calm down, B, calm down. What if the Lord wants you to be natural? Natural? Get thee behind me, Satan. This is spiritual warfare, all right? I said, I'm harvesting my ovaries. I'm taking out the kids' college fund. I got to buy makeup, all right? God is good, and he provided. But in that moment, in that moment, it felt like a traumatic situation. 
Now, here's the thing. That's little t trauma. For those that study, uh, study psychology or have gone to any sort of therapeutic treatment, that's a little t trauma. But in life, there will be big T trauma. When there's death and disillusionment and despair and depression and divorce and bankruptcy, what do we do in those moments? I remember it was uh, my 21st birthday and I received a phone call from my dad. And when most 21-year-olds receive a beautiful wrapped present with a bow, I received what felt like an atomic bomb. I received word that my mom was diagnosed not with one, but two forms of cancer. And the second one was brain cancer. The doctors had encouraged my dad to begin with funeral preparations and she was given a death sentence. I remember feeling like my whole entire world was imploding. And you know that moment when you get news that you weren't expecting and it's almost as if the world goes silent and you hear nothing but a hiss. That's the way that I felt. I couldn't prepare. I didn't see this coming. I didn't understand why this was happening. And if I'm honest with you, I got very angry with God. See, my parents are church planners in East LA, California, AKA the hood, okay? No one wants to go there. And they went and started a church in the concrete jungle of East LA. My mom had five kids, because you know, Hispanics roll deep with lots of kids. Five kids! <laughs> and homeschooled all five of us, and she married an ex-Marine, like God bless her heart, you know? This woman was a church planter, a homeschool mother, a mighty warrior of God. She deserved an island and a private yacht, not a death sentence. I remember asking God, why don't you give cancer to pedophiles? Why don't you give cancer to traffickers? Why don't you give cancer to people who kick little dogs and tell children that Santa Claus doesn't exist? But don't give cancer to my mom. I remember raising an angry fist at God and thinking, we did everything right. Why is everything so wrong? As a disciple of Christ, you may not know the why, but you must know the who. You might not know the why, but you must know the who. I'm going to encourage you to pull out your Bible, pull out a notebook, pull out a pen, and I want you to jot down things that the Spirit of God is resonating deep within your soul. And we're going to quickly open up with a word of prayer and just God, invite God's presence to saturate us in here. Spirit of God, we come before you and we just acknowledge that we want more of you. May this not be another night. May it not be a waste of makeup or a waste of babysitters or a waste of money. God, you can do more in one moment than 10 years of therapy. I pray for shackles to be loosed in here today. I pray for miracles to be found. But more importantly, God, I hope that hope and faith and joy is restored. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Tonight. I just felt so moved. We were singing this one song, and I turned to Chelsea, who's with me. Hey, Chelsea's great. Chelsea runs a prison, prison initiative. In fact, next week, we're going to prison in Texas. Pray for us. And, um, and I turned to her, and I said, hey, I think I need to change a message. And she said, well, okay. And then I, I got permission from El Jefe, the boss, and I said, do you mind if we switch a message? I felt like tonight I wanted to speak to the person in here whose life has been interrupted 
in pursuing the call of God upon their life and they are confused. You find yourself questioning and doubting the big why questions. Why is this going on? In those moments of pain, in those moments of trauma, in those moments of doubt and skepticism and unbelief because you are sitting here and you're worshiping but deep inside your heart, you're like, I don't even know if I believe this. You don't know my life. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know my trials. You know my trauma. You don't know my tribulation. You have no clue, but the spirit of God does. And maybe, maybe you are experiencing a, a death. Maybe something inside of you feels absolutely dead inside. Maybe it's your faith. And the big why questions are haunting you and looming over you like a heavy coat. Maybe you're experiencing some sort of death. Maybe a death of a loved one, but maybe equally as traumatic, death of a dream, death of marriage, death of a friendship, death of a relationship, death of a child, or maybe that there's just something inside of you that feels absolutely dead. I want to speak to that one shred of faith that is holding on because the enemy is whispering to you right now that God is incapable, God is incompetent, or God is impotent, and that is a lie from the pit of hell. Our God is a mighty God, and I want to speak faith in this room today. I love uh, the passage that we're gonna go over today. Uh, if you've been in Sunday school, vacation Bible school, or you've been around church for a minute, you've probably heard the story of Lazarus. You guys heard the story of Lazarus? Yeah, yeah? okay, the real Christian people are responding, amen, okay. <laughs> Listen, today is Friday night, we're gonna get turned up. You can holler back in the house of God. You can say amen. You can say, come on somebody, take me to Zion. You can get up and stamp and clap. I just want to give you permission today, because some of y'all came with your beautiful little southern church faces. Mm -hmm. How you doing? Bless. So good. Bless your heart. You know, I discovered, I discovered when I traveled in the south, when they bless your heart, they're really not blessing your heart. You know what that means? You sure is stupid. <laughs> I know your wily ways, friends. Don't make me bless your heart. In this story of Lazarus, we always, we always see this beautiful narrative discussion and dialogue around two men. But what I want to do with this passage that we might be very familiar with is highlight multiple characters because I believe that our faith is strengthened, our hope is renewed, our joy is found when we see our life in the pages of other characters that have gone before us, mothers and fathers of the faith. So if you brought your Bible, open it up and turn with me to John chapter 11. Um, only half of this side over here, the holy side, brought your Bibles. I appreciate that. For my heathens in the house, the wonderful AV team put the scriptures on the screen. Yep, your pages light up. I see you, boom, I do too, amen. Here's the thing, students of God's word, I'm gonna need you to start bringing your Bible to church because you don't go to the market without your wallet, you don't get in your car without your keys, you don't go to chemistry class without your chem book, you don't come to church without your Bible. This is your sword, all right? This is the answers for life. It's not only a book that you read, it reads you, amen, all right? So if you have a notebook, you can jot this down. I'm gonna encourage you to be women of the word. Okay, John chapter 11, beginning in verse one. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. I love that John gives us details. I love John. He's just like Bravo TV. He gives you all the details that are unnecessary and yet adds so much to it. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son might be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. Mm. Bless his heart. <laughs> this is a different aspect of Jesus. This is not Jesus as, as preacher, Jesus as healer, Jesus as miracle worker, Jesus as rabbi. No, this is Jesus as friend. And we're going to see Jesus' response to his friends. We are told that a, 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 a couple people, a bunch of people, who knows, go up to Jesus and say, Jesus, the one you love, your friend is sick. Now, this is Jesus' homie. This is Jesus' ride or die. This is Jesus' BFF. Like, move over Taylor Swift squad goals. No, 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 no. <laughs> Jesus was friends with Lazarus. Israel Houghton has that song, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. <laughs> I, right, right? But here's the thing. Lazarus could really legit say that. He was a good friend of Jesus. Can you imagine yourself being able to classify yourself as a friend of God, yeah. I would be the crazy person that would get like, turn up. Like, do you know who my friend is? Jesus, zap him. You know, like, <laughs> Jesus, I'm, I'm feeling so hungry. Can you please multiply this fish and loaves for us? Party, turn up. Jesus, I, I got some water. How about some wine? Hey, <laughs> come on. We can laugh at that. I know we're in the South. We're like, do we laugh at that? Is that funny? His first miracle was water into wine. And I'm sure Lazarus's friends, when they're back at home, Lazarus and his sister and their community, they're, they're wondering and they're waiting. They're, 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 wait, 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 let's go tell Jesus. Let's go tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick and he'll come back and heal him. He's healing everyone else. This is amazing. Now keep in mind, like if you had a friend that's a nurse practitioner or a doctor, someone that could write a prescription, that's the equivalent. If you're sick, you can call them up and be like, hey, yo, I got a sinus infection. Hook me up with a prescription. This is the kind of relationship that Jesus had with his friends. Their relationship would have warranted Jesus' attention. So someone went up to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, Lazarus, your friend is sick. Jesus is teaching, preaching, hugging, healing. I mean, he's got stuff to do and he's interrupted. And Jesus' response is like, oh, really? No way. Don't worry. This sickness is not unto death. And I imagine the friends that are coming up to him and thinking like, well, oh, okay, Jesus, but you know, first he got a cough, now we got the bronchitis. We just, we just don't know we're going to make it if you don't show up and do a little something, something. You know, he's going to get sick. It's for real. And then Jesus says something so interesting. He said, this sickness is not unto death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son might be glorified through it. Mm. Wow, this is the trippy part in verse 6. The scripture goes on to say that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But then what does it say? He stayed two more days. That verse messes with my theology. No, he loved them so much so he stayed where he was. 
No, that's not how it's supposed to go. No, 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 no. We need to stop and pick it, pick it, remix. That's not how the story's supposed to go. What kind of friend is that? In my mind, the story goes with friends running up to Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Lazzy, you know your homeboy. He's sick. He's almost gonna kill the kick the bucket. And Jesus says, Lazzy, my homeboy, the one who I ate dinner at his house. Sorry, y'all. I gotta go heal my friend. He comes back, touches Lazarus. Lazarus pops up. He comes into the Sabbath in the temple with the praise banner, a shofar, and gives him a twirl. Give Jesus a testimony. Amen. Is that how the story goes? Uh Uh-uh. No, he waited until things went from bad to worse. In verse 5, he says, no, this sickness is not unto death. In verse 11, he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him. In verse 14, Lazarus is dead. Wait, what? Then he says something crazy. He said, I'm glad it happened so that you can believe. Believe what? If we get into the minutia of the text, I am saying, God, you are able. God, you can do it. God, you are good. So do it. Heal it. Fix it. Touch it. Make right what is wrong. Make straight what is crooked. He is God, but he's not a genie that we rub and caress to get our wanton wish. Sometimes life doesn't make sense, friends. We're doing everything right. So why is everything so wrong? God is whispering to us in these moments. Do you have faith in me? Do you believe in me? Not believe for the things that I could do. Do you believe me? Voltaire, a philosopher in the 1800s in France, said faith consists in believing when it's beyond the power of reason to believe. So can you believe? Can you believe in the middle of the mess, in the middle of the muck, in the middle of the mire? Can you believe in the middle of catastrophe and say, yes, God, I believe. I believe that you are able. I believe that you can. And I believe that you are good. But even if you don't, I'm choosing to believe this is for your glory and for your good. This is the cost of discipleship. Now, uh, if you're familiar with this story, the Bible states that Lazarus had been dead for two days and Jesus waited, or Lazarus had been sick, then Jesus waited two more days. So by the time he rolls into town, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Like he is in the grave. He gone. Sayonara. Bye. Tell him, boy, bye. Like he's in the grave. All right. There's no coming back from this. Now, according to early oral tradition, There was a group, a sect of rabbis uh, and and thinkers at that time that were giving this doctrine. They were telling people and people believed that the soul could linger outside of the body for three days. Why is this? Because breath and soul in Hebrew were the same. That word is neshama. Bible scholars, N-E-S-H-A-M-A, neshama, breath and soul. So if the soul can linger outside of the body and breath is also synonymous with this word, then breath can come back into the body and revive that person. Well, guess who rolls up into town four days later? Jesus, yes! He comes in after Lazarus had already been in the grave. In verse 20, we are told that Jesus gets out to Jesus comes into town and Martha, Martha goes out to meet him. 
Martha finally hears that Jesus showed up and she's about to give him a piece of her mind. Now, I don't know how you read your Bible, but I, I, I'm, I'm Mexican, rican which means I'm Mexican and Puerto Rican, uh, which basically means I'm late to everything and I have a bad attitude. I came out of the womb with 10 pounds of makeup and high heels. <laughs> and... Uh, and I interpret the Bible maybe a little bit differently. It's my first time to Louisville, so let me just bring you up to speed with how I interpret God's word. I was raised going to my grandmother's house at a very young age, my Puerto Rican grandmother, and she would serve me coffee and we would watch soap operas at the age of six. It was like all the things my mom didn't let me do, but it was amazing. And we'd sit there on her couch with the plastic covering, sipping cups of coffee. And my love for narrative storytelling came birthed out of that. And the way that I read my Bible is like a soap opera. Now, I know that this is, you know, a little bit of the southern states. And when I say soap opera, you might be thinking like Days of Our Lives, General Hospital, Young and the Restless. But when I say soap opera, I really mean a novella, okay? And there is a difference. So for my, for my fair-skinned sisters... It would look something along the lines of a woman who's just been scorned by her forlorn lover. She's tall, svelte waist, long legs, thighs that definitely do not touch, <laughs> neatly combed hair, and she looks at her forlorn lover who's just broken up with her, and she says, but John, I don't understand. Please don't leave me. And in a novella, somebody comes in with a really tight dress that's very high, back-combed hair, eyelashes so long that when she blinks, you feel it through the screen. She comes in like a bat at a hell screaming, Pero Juanito, no se va mi amor, ¿por qué? ¿Por qué no entiendo? No se va mi amor. And then someone comes in, shoots Juanito. You find out that Juanito's her secret baby daddy, and you're like, oh my God. That's the way we should read our Bible, okay? And I'm so tired of being like, oh, the Bible's boring. No, boo-boo, you boring, okay? The Bible is full of mystery and intrigue and betrayal and denial and redemption and salvation, and we read it like a historical fiction. So, in my mind's eye, you know, Martha, she turned up, oh, she got an attitude. She's like, uh-uh, Jesus is now going to come over here right now. He's been gone all these days. He knows that Lazzie's out there. He's out there walking on water, and he can't come back for Lazzie. Uh-uh, mommy, hold my earrings, okay? Like, sister got an attitude. Yeah. And we can joke about this but we need to put ourselves in Martha's shoes. See, because during this time, if we open up the lens and filter, it's a patriarchal society. It's run by men. Women didn't have intellectual capital. They didn't have property rights. They didn't have authority or voting rights or even have a voice. So her, her covering, her, her, her protection, her finances were in the grave. And the person that could have saved him did nothing. Have you felt like her? God, you could have, and you didn't. If you would have been here, my business wouldn't have failed. If you would have been here, I wouldn't have lost my child. If you wouldn't have been here, I wouldn't have had an affair. If you would have been here, I would have told the truth. 
Look at verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And in verse 23, he says, your brother will rise again. She gets real religious. Martha says, oh, I know. I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection of the last day. The woman knew her theology. Yeah. You know, sometimes we do that. When someone's coming in to like be with you and like God's in your midst. Oh, I know. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. I know. I've got the Magnal refrigerator. Be still and know that I'm God. Bump you. You know, like this is what Martha is going through. And he says in verse 25, no, Martha, you don't get it. I am the resurrection. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And that is the question that I have come to Louisville to ask you. Do you believe? Do you believe? Today in Louisville, I'm asking you, do you believe you can live again. And this is the challenge. And it may not happen right away, but can you believe that God can, that he's able, that he's good? Because to be a disciple of Christ, we might not know the why, but we must know the who. And Jesus said to Martha, as he's, as he's whispering even to you today, I am the resurrection. I'm not into transformation. I'm into resurrection, things that are dead and cast away, wrapped and buried, sealed in a tomb. God can resurrect back to life. The Bible says that when the town heard that Jesus was coming, Martha went out to go meet him, but Mary stayed in. The Bible is silent as to why she remained inside. But in my own mind, as I read this narrative, I believe that she stayed because she was hurt. She's mourning. She's grieving. There's even a sense of betrayal. How many times as she's holding on to her wounded heart did Jesus not come for Lazarus? And maybe, maybe not you, if you're real spiritual, but I'll just put this on me. How many times have I said the same thing? God, where are you? God, can you heal? God, why is this happening? After uh, Jesus talks with Martha, the Bible says in verse 28 that he says, hey, I want to see Mary. Have Mary come to me. And Mary went quickly to him. Jump down to verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. The name Mary in Hebrew means rebellion in want of that of a child or bitter. So I want you to see something. Mary, bitterness, rebellion, desire, bowed at the feet of Jesus. Look at her posture. What is the thing inside of you that is rebellious? What is that thing inside of you? You are just, I'm upset because God hasn't given it to me. What is that thing that is inside of you that is so bitter? Will you bow at the feet of Jesus? Because something happens when our posture changes. The lower we get, the higher our faith is. It's not something that I'm pontificating about. Oh, that's, that's good preaching. No, it's the truth. When we are at the end of ourself, we allow God the space to come in. Did you notice that both Mary 
and Martha said the same thing. Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But their postures were totally different. One flashed an attitude and one got on bended knee. So the question I ask tonight is what is your posture? Do you believe that God can turn any situation around? Will you still love him if he doesn't? The focus of this narrative usually is around two men, Jesus and Lazarus. And the focus of this narrative is Lazarus comes back from the grave and everyone's excited and he comes hobbling out the tomb like something out of a Michael Jackson thriller video. And he's like, I'm alive, I'm alive. Hey. Like everyone's turned up. Everyone is so excited. Like I cannot believe this. And we can sing songs like back in vacation Bible school. God is great. God is good. Any other Baptist people up in here? Okay. Remember Salty, the singing songbook? All right. He kept his promise like he said he would. Yes. Yeah. God is amazing. Woo. Pull out the shofar. And he is. But there's more than one healing that took place in this narrative. Lazarus was dead and he came back to life. Martha's faith was dead and she came back to life. And both are equally as miraculous. In verse 27, how do we know this? Let me back this up with scripture. She said, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. She said this after the death, after Lazarus had been put in the tomb, after Lazarus had dead, death claws on him. She said, I'm not saying that I believe in you because you can heal my brother. I'm saying that you're Messiah because he's already in the grave. You want to know how you want to flourish? You want to know how you want to grow and step into the things of God for your life. Declare who your Savior is. I believe that you are the Son of the Most High God. And let me tell you something. It will cost you everything. But most importantly, it will solidify and strengthen your faith. I'm going to call the band up here. And I love that last song that we sang because I believe that there is power in the name of Jesus. When we declare who he is, I believe our faith is strengthened. I believe today that as equally miraculous as Lazarus coming back from the grave, I believe that some women are gonna come back to life. I believe that the spirit of God is gonna breathe on them, neshama, on you, so that what people say, no, she's dead, she's gone, she's lost, she's bankrupt, she's lost her kids, she lost her husband, she lost her business, she lost her education, she lost her job, she lost everything, that you will come back to life through the spirit of God, that you will be a testimony where people will be like, clearly, there is a God. The question I ask is, do you believe? Maybe you're sitting in here thinking like, I was supposed to be a wife and I never got married. I was supposed to go to college, but I got rejected. I was supposed to become a missionary. I didn't get the finances. I was supposed to be a mother, but I'm infertile. I was supposed to be married, but I had an affair. Can you stare at something bound up in death clothes and buried and sealed in a tomb and believe that it can live again. But even if it doesn't, can you worship God because he is good, because he is able, and because he can? Our worship isn't predicated upon what we give, get. Our worship is predicated for everything that God has given to us. So we praise him in the pain, we praise him in the confusion, and we believe, God, do it again. Do it again. Revive our hearts. 
Martha said, I believe that you are Messiah, the son of God who has come into this world. For those Marys out there who are dealing with bitterness or want, anger, rebellion, let me tell you why you can trust God. There's no problem that he cannot solve. There's no promise that my God cannot fulfill. There's no prayer too small that God cannot answer. There is no disease or sickness that my God cannot heal. There is no heart that my God cannot mend. No relationship that God cannot restore. No person that God cannot save. No chaos that God cannot bring peace. No pain that God cannot restore. No sin that God cannot forgive. No bondage that God cannot break. No need that God cannot cannot meet, no enemy that God cannot defeat, and no mountain that God cannot move. The word of God has been spoken in here, and I am believing the power of God's spirit that lives come back to life. So as the band begins to sing over us, I'm going to ask you to do something very brave. Maybe you've come in here tonight, you were invited by a friend. Maybe you lost a bet and your friend, coworker, or mom dragged you here. Maybe, maybe you were at one point really connected to church, but you've walked away. Tonight, I'm going to speak to that Martha in you, the one that's angry and frustrated. I'm going to ask you that if you've never accepted Jesus, if you have walked away from God, or maybe you want to come back to God, tonight, you can come back to life in Jesus Christ. So right where you are, if I can just ask you to close your eyes and bow your head in a moment of, just a moment of sacred space. If I can ask for a little bit of light. I'm going to count to three. Can you all begin to sing? I love, I just feel like spirit breaks out when worship is done. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus, you want to get back to the cross. I'm going to ask you on the count of three to raise your hand. But let me explain this one. By you raising your hand, you are declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. Two, you are believing that your sins can be forgiven and washed new. And three, you're inviting his presence to take full reign over your life. So one, two, three. If that's you, will you raise your hand? God bless you. 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 Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you right now and all of us together, can we pray with our sisters in this moment? Hang with me, friends. Hang with me. We're going to pray and we're going to put our words out and declare this affirmation. It's not a magic prayer. What we're doing is we're putting language around this decision. Can we say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse my heart and renew my mind. Give me a clean conscience. Fill me with your spirit to do what you have called me to do. Today, I choose you, Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. As the band continues to worship, and y'all, I love it. Keep on coming. Even go higher, baby, go higher. Listen, before we leave, I believe that there's more than salvation miracles that want to break out. For people that um, have been feeling for the sister or sisters where you have been feeling dead inside, 
Like if you can open up your chest, you feel like it's nothing but black. The tomb that sealed Lazarus could not hold him. And I want to speak to that dark place inside of you and declare that God is your banner of joy, that he can restore your joy, that the depression that has been keeping you up at night and the anxiety that is weighing you down, we're going to pray that the God who rose Lazarus from the grave is the God that can bring you peace, that can bring you joy, that can bring you hope. And we're going to pray and we're going to take and ground from the enemy tonight. We are taking ground from the enemy tonight. If you are in this room and you are married and thinking about an affair with someone else, we're gonna pray with you. The Lord sees you. There's no shame. There's no shame, but we're gonna pray for you. God loves you. He's giving you a red sign. A brown girl from LA saying, don't be stupid, boo-boo. Stay in your marriage. And lastly, if you're sitting here thinking of taking your life, I've come to tell you that God you he heard you he heard you the God of the universe heard you and he's saying I love you stop cutting yourself it is by my stripes that you are healed so we're gonna pray and take authority in the name of Jesus if that's you if any of those words were for you I'm gonna ask you very brazenly and very boldly if you are experiencing that death inside of you Many people are wrestling with depression and anxiety. I get that. But a specific word, you feel like you are absolutely dead inside. God sees that. And you know what? Your marriage is worth fighting for. You've been questioning, you've been questioning, you've questioned. There's an assault on your marriage. Um, and I, I just have come to tell you, God will give you the strength that you need. And lastly, if you are cutting yourself or experiencing suicidal thoughts, we're going to pray for you right now. I'm going to ask you that you stand to your feet and make the devil a liar. If any of those words were for you, will you stand? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. By you standing, you are saying the enemy cannot control my heart and my mind. He will not take authority over my marriage or my home that the Spirit of God is gonna give you what you need. This is not an emotional thing. This is a cognizant reality that the God of the universe has seen you right where you are. And it's okay to cry. It's okay to be emotional. It's cathartic. Spirit of God, I pray for each and every one of these standing women that we as women, as she, that we get to surround her and pray with faith, God, that you do what only you can do, God. I pray that you show us your glory. May these women who are standing be testimonies of faith, testimonies of joy, testimonies of redemption, and testimonies of restoration. In the mighty name of Jesus, we take authority from the enemy. We say, so be it. Amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed this message on the My Big Church podcast. We thank everyone who has given to support this ministry. To find out more about how to support financially or more about Big Church, you may visit our website, mybigchurch.com. If you live in the Louisville, Kentucky area and don't have a church home, we would love to have you as our guest at Big Church. We are located at 7209 Faganbush Lane in Louisville, and we have worship services at 945 and 1130 every Sunday. Thank you again for listening to the My Big Church podcast.